Introduce our brother, uh, Mitch Gibbs, pastor at Lens Baptist Church. He's going to share the word with us this morning. Amen. If you open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8, and then we're skipping specifically the, the prayer, the disciples' prayers, uh, disciples prayer, and uh, that will be next week, and then uh, jumping down from uh, 16 through 18 this morning. I am the uh, pastor slash elder of Lens Baptist Church. It's my wife, Tracy, and my two sons, James and Zachariah, who are with me this morning. I was asked, Donna said this morning, because she heard a little vocalization when she was at uh, Lens Baptist last week, yeah, is it okay to say amen? amen. And so, yeah, amen. For uh, six years, I spent uh, in a predominantly African-American church, and so... After I left there and started preaching to predominantly uh, Caucasian congregation, it was a little bit of a change for me. And uh, fortunately, I still have uh, Sister Sarai, so if you don't want to make her feel all alone, you might say amen as well, because she always likes the help. And uh, it always, uh, you, I'll warn you, you might get me a little excited to start saying amen. So uh, that's just a warning to put out there. One of the things I did want to uh, just remind us as we come before the Word, that one of my favorite quotes in uh, Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem is that to disbelieve or disobey any part of God's Word is to disbelieve or disobey God Himself. So let us open up God's Word this morning, Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Skipping down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret, 
and your father sees in secret, and he will reward you. Who doesn't want to be on the stage of life to be recognized? Many of you who are parents have heard your children, Mommy, Daddy, look at me, look what I can do. We want attention. And God, in fact, has created us to be noticed and to be notices of other people. That it is a natural outcome. We are created in such a way, the very imago Dei, the image of God, that we long and desire to be seen and we also see and notice other people as well. It is important for us to be seen. Jesus knows this. Even when I drive my bus on Fridays, I have a hearing impaired girl who sits right in the front seat. She's only about three or four years old. And when we're riding, I look in my student uh, mirror up at her, and she's right here where I can see her, and she's got her eyes fixed on me almost all the time. And we start doing what I can, I can see you. And we do our little uh, excited hands, and we're flashing each other just to kind of a means of conversation and connecting. While we're driving down the freeway, she realizes I'm focused on the, on the road and occasionally that I'll be looking in my rear view or my mirror and I'll see that she's not here, but I see that she might see me and I'll do a little hand wave, a little finger wave down low and all of a sudden she squeals with delight because she knows that I have seen her and it excites her and she is motivated by that. But it isn't just children who long to be noticed. We all have a deep desire to be seen, to be known, to be recognized. The very nature of relations is to be known, to be noticed by one another, to be in relationship with each other, to be seen. Jesus knows this full well, that we all have this longing, a deep desire to be seen and to be noticed by others. He also knows that this very desire that we were created for also has been corrupted by sin. Who has not in this room at some point been a show-off? Who's desired to somehow seek attention for themselves? To elevate themselves, to do something out of character or even in character, to actually draw attention to themselves for their own glory, for their own purposes, so that they just might be seen and get attention and draw attention to themselves. Jesus knows that we are like this and that he has addressed this very issue here in Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. Today we've already read the text and I just want to open the very first word, the very first section of this text. Tells a lot about the entire text. We need to spend a little bit of time just on verse 1 so we understand the entire text so we have better understanding. I know those of uh, Lens like to have outlines, so let me give a little brief outline of where we're going and what we're about ready to do. The main theme of the text is Jesus teaches us how to practice righteousness. He says, when we give, when we pray, and when we fast, do it for an audience of one, the one who matters most of all, let us do it for the Father who is in heaven. And as we look at the text, each one of my points follows the same idea, when we give, Let us do it for an audience of one, the one who matters most, our Father who is in heaven. Let us pray to the one who matters most, our Father who is in heaven. Let us fast to the one who matters most, our Father 
who is in heaven. Jesus begins here once again as we look at verse 1. The first word right out of the, right out of the gate is beware. It is an imperative, meaning that it is a command for us to pay attention. I believe there's two sets of commands. It is a command for the negative to be careful, to be watchful, to not fall into this. But it's also a beware or be careful to do. Because we're given both instructions what not to do and what to do. And the same imperative applies to both. Don't do this, but do this. So it is an imperative both of the negative and of the positive. And that is the nature of this text. Beware of what? Of practicing. Sometimes we just need an understanding of what it means to practice. I don't know if you've ever gone to the doctor and actually felt like the doctor was, when you went to a visit, he's practicing on you. To be a doctor, not to actually practice medicine. And perhaps uh, you might even experience like I have, I purposely went to the school of dentistry because I was too cheap to pay full price. And so I know what it's like to actually be practiced upon, to actually be the subject. So we might understand the difference between practice. We know when a doctor is fully skilled and capable of doing it that he opens a practice, which is completely different than the students at the dental school who are practicing upon me, who have no skills and are learning the skills while I'm sitting in the chair. There's a distinction between practice. And the practice that Jesus is referring to is not a practice of improvement to try to gain proficiency in a specific skill, but to actually do the things that we've already been equipped to do. I believe that is what is here. Does that mean that you won't gain proficiency? No, certainly we'll gain proficiency over time. But it isn't like we have to gain a certain level before we actually do these things. It says you've been equipped, you've got all the gifts, all that is necessary to do these practices of righteousness. Righteousness alone also begs the question is like many people come to the perspective that, hey, wait a minute, my righteousness is not my own. It is from God and I would agree completely. In fact, if I was to take a poll, I said, who is righteous? The Bible says, no, not one is righteous. That is the nature of who we are prior to Jesus. But then Paul also says, after he declares his own righteousness completely worthless, he says, it is by faith in Jesus Christ, is the righteousness that is from God, that we have been given. And here Jesus is then saying, since you have this righteousness, practice it in your life. Put it into practice, put it into action, so that people might see and that you might be able to come into the presence of God and see his work in your lives. And that is what we have here. We have beware of practicing your righteousness. So hopefully we understand at least the first portion of this text. To beware, be careful. To practice your righteousness, not in a wrong way, but in a right way. To not do it unright and unrighteously, but to do it righteously and for the honor and glory of the God. Not for our own edification, our own fame. That is what we are called for. Then... Jesus goes on, which is a very interesting portion of this text. He says, we are not to do this before other people in order to be seen by them. There are three different terms in this text that are in reference to being seen. This one is a standalone, that you might not be seen by others. 
And it's the very word where we get theater, which is interesting. It is the whole thing is to put on a show to make yourself known to people so that you can kind of parade yourself and make yourself look good to everybody else. And every act is ceasing to be about its purpose, but its own purpose becomes to do something for you by glorifying you or to make you noticed amongst people to draw attention. They might think you're a good person and that they might applaud you and pat you on the back because you're in a theater of your production, your own, and you, you are the actor and you're the one who's trying to draw all the attention to yourself so that you might be famous that you might gain attention. It is the word theomai, which we get the word theater. And there is a bit of theater that is going on in this text. And it is that theater in which Jesus warns us to not be part of, to not put on a show, but to practice your righteousness in such a manner that it is and continues to be a righteous practice that we do not for ourselves, but we do for God, for his glorification and for his honor, not for our own applause or for our own gratification. So as we look once again at this first verse, beware of practicing your righteousness before men in a theater where you are seeking to draw attention to yourself so that you might be seen. No, rather you will, the result of all of these things is there is no reward from your father who is in heaven. No reward. Essentially, the issue is, is there's a ledger that Paul, or that Jesus actually is uh, suggesting here, that if you have some sort of expectation that because of your righteous practices, that there is something that you're going to gain. But if all of your righteous practices were for your own self-interest and your own self-grandization and glorification, the problem is, is when the Father comes that he sees your deeds are not for righteous practice, but for your own gain. And therefore, he deems you are paid in full. There is no heavenly reward for you. So when we decide to practice our righteousness and we enter stage right, the Father exits stage left. And there is no reward for us when we practice in such a manner as this. So when we now look at the next verse, verse 2, it says, when we give to the needy, we do it for an audience of one, the one that matters most. We do it for the Father who is in heaven. Verse 2 tells us, it says, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do. It is interesting, if you look in your... uh, your Greek dictionary or find uh, the meaning of this word, the very first word is actor. That in the theater here, we have an actor who is pretending, he's putting false pretenses about what his ultimate purpose is, and he's actually putting on display, not for the purpose of actually helping the needy, but helping the needy so he might be praised. And Jesus says, do not do this. It is believed that in the synagogue, when the wealthy were actually praised, there would have been a trumpet that would blow or some form of horn. And that was a signal to all of those who were of a higher standing, who were wealth, that they were, it's time to come forward so you get your praise, so you come up and stand next to the priest, and that you might be recognized and be honored for all your generosity and giving. And Jesus says, don't be like those. 
In fact, in our modern era, we have this health-wealth gospel, and I've seen churches that actually line people up. If you're going to give $100, you get in this line, and $50, and $25, and $10, and nobody wants to be in the $10 line. I mean, that's the one that's empty. But what are they doing? If I'm going broke, giving 100 bucks, because I can really only afford 10, or that's what God's really called me to do, but it's my own arrogance that actually draws me and calls me, just like, I got to go get that, because everybody's looking. And I don't want anybody to think that I don't have wealth or I'm not important. I want in the right line. I want to be recognized. I want to be seen by people. So they might praise me. They might applaud when I come forward and get my honors. And Jesus says we are to refrain, to, to abstain, to not do these things in the synagogue. He says they do all these things that they might be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their word, the reward. They have been paid in full. There is nothing left in heaven for them. They've been paid by the applause of the attendees. They've been given all of the benefits that they sought for. But from God, there is nothing. In contrast, verse 3, the next understanding of what it means to beware is to be careful. When we do actually give to the needy, we're to do it in such a way that we do not draw attention to ourselves. For he says, when we do give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's an interesting phrase. What does it exactly mean? Well, in one sense, when we're giving money to the poor, we're not telling everybody else Like, hey, uh, banker, uh, you know why I'm giving this money? I'm getting this money so I can help the poor out. Because I'm trying to actually get some sort of uh, edification or benefit from my contributions. No, rather, Jesus is actually saying to, to remain silent, to don't tell anybody what you're giving for. Perhaps you need to have a conversation with your wife before you start giving large sums of money. That might be appropriate, but if it's for the purpose you're telling your wife so that she might tell others, then you've told your right hand what your left hand is doing. Because you're seeking attention, you're looking for the praise. And Jesus says, do these things in secret and in private. Don't make them public. For your father sees you in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you in heaven. When we look at the secrecy, it seems to be in somewhat of a contradiction to our understanding of what's already taken place way back in Matthew chapter 5, specifically in verse 16, because he tells us there that we are to let our light shine before men. So now in chapter 5, we're supposed to make known all of our discipleship and all the works that are before us. To not hide them, but to let our bushel uh, removed so that our light might shine before men, so that they might see our good deeds and praise our Father who is in heaven. But now we do things in secret. We need to understand why is it that before it was okay to do these things, but now we're supposed to actually remain silent about these very activities. That we're not supposed to tell people about the way we're giving, and we're not supposed to draw attention to ourselves, but we are to remain 
in secret about these things. I believe that uh, Bruner, which is a commentary that was loaned to me, is extremely helpful, and I'm just going to read what he says is some of the reason for this. Bruner writes, It is right to do good works in such a way that when people see them, they think God, think of God, and it is good that we glorify God and that they see these works in such a way that people think of God and celebrate him and see the good works that you've done so that they might call attention to God. But for the followers that accomplished Matthew 5, 1 through 12, the Beatitudes, if you look at what is actually going taking place there, those works are not visually striking. They're not, they're not something that draws our attention immediately. The essence is that they are actually ones that we're suffering under, that we're likely to be persecuted for. In fact, when we look at them, the works are usually considered not spectacular. They're instead quickness to reconcile, sexual purity, non-defensiveness in the face of provocation, and warm relations with, with hard and difficult people. Now, most people would say, well, why are you doing any of those things? They would actually curse us and actually say, you are, you're an idiot for doing these things. In fact, you will likely be persecuted and actually an outcast because you're either too pure or too righteous or somehow you're, you're somehow outside of the cultural norm. And the reason why we might hide those acts of discipleship is because we're trying to avoid the embarrassment and the persecution by the people around. We don't want them to see those things. But here in this portion, when we give to the needy and when we pray and when we fast, these are considered universal practices. In fact, the five pillars, these are three pillars of Islam. Almost universally, every religion says these are the things that all religious people should do. And every other religion says, yes, you should get glorified and draw attention to yourself for these very things. But Jesus says, not for my people. This is not for a public display. This is an issue that is between us. It's in-house. It's for us. It's so that you can genuinely and truly do good. That you can genuinely and truly pray, not for the purpose of being seen, but to pray to the Father, and that you might fast, not to draw attention to yourself, but so that you might come to a closer and deeper relationship with your Father. That is the purpose of all these things, that we might not be seen by people, but we might do these things in such a way that is honoring to God. The next point as we continue on in our text We've dealt with the giving to the needy, that we are to do this to an audience of one, the one who matters most, to our Father who is in heaven. And now we are also to pray, but pray in such a manner that we do it to an audience of one, the one who matters most of all, our Father who is in heaven. Verse 5 tells us, when you pray, you must not, once again, be like the hypocrites, the actors, the pretenders. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. 
Now, when we just read that and we understand the purpose and the nature of prayer, that these people are not praying to God, but in some ways they are P-R-E-Y on the attention of others. They're praying to receive or to capture something, not to actually find solace and comfort in the very presence of God, to find the face of God in the heart of God. They're simply praying for attention, to say, look at me, look at me. Look how spiritual I am. Look how uh, God has chosen me and how unique I am. They do it ultimately to draw attention to themselves and not for the purpose which prayer is, which is simply a child speaking to his father. For that is the purpose of prayer because Jesus clearly says we are to pray to our Father who is in heaven. We, a child of God, a conversation that is meant to actually bring us into the very presence of God. That is a purpose of prayer. And therefore, we are not to be hypocrites and to pray for the public spectacle and to be noticed. Does this mean that we should have no corporate or public prayers? Actually, absolutely no. We should continue to pray amongst ourselves. There should be an activity of prayer. But public prayer thrives only when private prayer lives. Public prayer thrives only when private prayer lives. So that we are called to pray. We're even called to pray for one another. In fact, Luther encourages the body to come together so that God might hear not just one of us, but the multitude of us all coming together in unison and praying for one another and praying for God's work in our lives. These things are important, but when we do these prayers with the intention to only draw attention to ourselves, Jesus says, beware, do not do these things. Your, your reward has been paid in full. There is nothing left from you for the Father. For you received all the attention that you long for. And you've received your reward here on earth. And there is nothing for you left. Verse 6, there's a little bit longer explanation of the whole attitude of prayer. Because once again in verse 6, he readdresses the pray. When we pray, go into a room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So rather than a corporate prayer or a public prayer for the purpose of attention, we're supposed to actually get away and actually be private in our prayers to actually find a room where we can be all by ourselves and simply pray to the Father to be in relationship, to be with him, to be intimate with him, to have an expectation that we come to see your face, we come to be in the presence of God, to hear his voice. Bruner points out that we understand that prayer is a simple conversation with God. And for you children here this morning, you are not too young to begin to pray. You can talk to your dad and your mom. Guess what? You can talk to God in the same manner in which you talk to your parents. You examine what your problems are and you say, give them over to the Lord. And you pray and ask God, help me. You might even see your parents or your, your family in need and you might actually say, God, help them. And you are talking to God and you are praying to him. It's important to pray. And you're never too young. Because if we remember, it's simply a conversation with God. 
And we can always have the access to the presence of God. We don't have to be super spiritual. We just have to believe. And believe that he rewards those with his presence. So we are never too young. We're never too old. We're never too smart. And we're never too slow. There's always time for prayer. And we are called to pray. And it's simply a conversation to God. And even if we lack the words, when our hearts ache and we, all we can experience is a pain. In the epistle of Romans, we were told sometimes our prayers are simply grunts and groans. And I don't know about you, some of those prayers have been the best prayers of my life. To simply express my pain and frustration to God. To pour myself before him. Not to draw attention, but just to be in the presence of my Father. To know Him and experience Him. These are the true prayers that Jesus wants from His followers. And these are the prayers that the Father longs to hear. Since we have an extended understanding that... What God calls for prayer, it isn't just the fact that we don't do it publicly to gain attention, but we go into a private room that we might have these times of prayer, that these are basically discipleship presence that we need, all of us, to take time to get away from everything and just be with God all by ourselves. Sometimes as husbands and wives, we may need to actually make room for our spouses and take care of the kids so that they can also Get in a closet and be alone with God. And as children, you can call into your closet in your room and begin to pray to God as well. He is there. He is with you in secret. And he will be there in your presence. And he will hear you. Perhaps this is one of the most fascinating things if we continue on in the topic of prayer in verse 7. He actually tells us, and when you pray, once again, he addresses us, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Hindus and Buddhists actually have what they would call prayers of chants. They basically say these same words over and over and over and again, and somehow believing that if they just say it enough, it'll eventually get the attention and it'll change the world around them because of their ongoing, incessant prayers. Well, in the same way, the Gentiles during Jesus' time, they were pray and they would get all this verbose and, and huge words and they would word up all of their prayers so that they were almost so convoluted you didn't even know what they were praying of because they thought just by the piling on of words, eventually they would get the attention of their God and that then they would be heard. But not so with our Father, who remarkably, as we look in verse 8, do not be like them, Jesus tells us. Why don't we be like them? For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So we already know that we're heard. We don't have to somehow get God's attention. He's already knows before we even put a word upon our lips that he's already heard us and he knows what we need. So when we give to the needy, when we pray, do it for an audience of one, for the one that matters most of all, for a father 
who is in heaven. Jump down with me to verse 16. Once again, and when we fast, do it also to an audience of one, the one who matters most, to the Father who is in heaven. He tells us here, do not be gloomy like the hypocrites. Once again, the actors who are putting on a play on the stage to draw attention to themselves, they start to grimace and they, they're groaning and they're outwardly showing all the pains within their bodies to show how spiritual and what a great sacrifice they're making and how spiritual and, and uh, to draw attention to themselves so that we might notice them and say, wow, man, you're just such a great spiritual person. But Jesus says, don't be like those hypocrites. Rather, be like a normal day. Go take a shower. Comb your hair. If you're a woman, put on your makeup. Brush your teeth. You know, make yourself look good. Make sure you get your deodorant on. Make sure everything looks right so that nobody knows what you're doing. Because your fasting is not for public display, but it's for a private transformation within your heart. We sometimes wonder what all this fasting is ultimately calling to. We sung about it this morning. In fact, the reading from the book of Isaiah tells us it is to bring forth and bring penitence to our hearts. John Piper makes the point that the reason why we fast is so that our bodies will ache. And when we're in a place of, uh, of where we're a little bit more frazzled, that all of a sudden these things begin to bubble up, the problems and the frustrations that we're experiencing, then all of a sudden we realize, man, I need to confess these before God, that I need to make myself right. Because when I'm stressed, all of a sudden I find those issues that are troubling me and causing me problems and what I need to address. They expose my sin and also they expose the idols that are feeding and bringing these sins to the surface. That is one of the purposes of fasting, but I think one of the best purposes that Piper actually expresses is that prayer is what we are to do and fasting is the exclamation mark upon our prayers. What does he mean? To make an exclamation mark upon prayer. That we actually begin, as a result of fasting, we, we deprive ourselves and we begin to experience pain. Our bodies hunger for nutrients. And just as our bodies begin to long and hunger for these things, we should also be praying that our souls and our hearts long for Jesus as our bodies long for food. To say, we want all that you are, Jesus, just as our bodies hunger, our soul longs for you. That we long for your presence, we long for you to be all that you can be in our lives. And in this moment, that we ache for the world around us, we ache for the broken marriages, we ache that people are not coming to Christ, we ache for the lost. And we want to put an explanation, we ask you, Lord, just as my body feels pain, May my soul as well, may I be broken, may I be hurting for those who are lost and who are hurting and who are in need of you. I believe Piper is right in his understanding of what the purpose of fasting is, to expose sin and expose our idols and also to teach our souls what it is that we should feel within ourselves, to hunger and thirst after our Lord. 
just as our bodies are hungering, thirsting after food. He tells us here to not do these things publicly for the purpose of drawing attention, but to do these things for the glory of God. And he promises, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. As we've come to the end of this text, I want to just go back, and I've only briefly dealt with some of the issues of reward. If we look back in verse 3, at the end of verse 3, it is to tell us that we are to not do it, but it's down into verse 4, excuse me, not verse 3, but verse 4 at the end. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Then drop down into verse 8. And we find your father who knows what you need before you ask him. Also in verse 6, it tells us, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And down into verse 18, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, perhaps you're wondering why I'm addressing all these things and going back and in some ways addressing the same message in which I've already addressed. But one of the things we need to pay attention to is things that are repeated over and over again. There are things that we are not to do, but in regards to prayer and to fasting and giving to the needy, but on every occasion we are told that we will be rewarded in secret by our Father who sees us who knows what we are doing. And it is important for us to know that the Father does see us. And unlike every other seeing that is going on, it is different. It is not a theater where we're putting on a show for God. But God sees us in a unique way. He does not see us just in our activity, in our accomplishment of things. It is not like the hypocrites who try to shine a spotlight on themselves. He sees with knowledge And when it is God who knows, the type of knowledge is exponentially greater than a simply knowledge of seeing. He sees and he understands what we are doing and who we are doing it for. He knows what we are doing and he sees those things that we accomplish for his glory and for his purposes. And in fact, when we truly understand that when we do these things and We're claiming to give to the needy, but we do it for the attention of others. We're not giving to the needy. We're only giving for our own attention. We don't care about the needy. We care about ourselves. And when we pray, we only care about getting more attention. We don't care about having a conversation with God. And when we fast, we don't care about actually being fasting and actually being hurt and sorrowing for the people and the change and transformation of our lives. We're only suffering for the attention we can see. But when we go into a closet and do it for our Lord, when we go into secret, when we give in such a way that our right hand does not know what our left hand is doing, the Father who sees us and he knows us. Perhaps as we come to the end of this text and we come to an understanding of Hebrews chapter 6 verse 5 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God 
must believe that he exists and rewards those who eagerly seek him. In order to very come to the very presence of God, we must believe that not only that he exists, but that he is a rewarder of those who eagerly seek him. Our understanding about rewards and the way in Jesus speaks about these rewards and how he speaks about this entire conversation about how we are to practice our righteousness is all about family. To do it for the Father who is in heaven. So all the commercial understanding that I'm somehow going to get a crown from heaven or that I'm going to get jewels or some monetary reward is out the door. It is not commercial rewards in which we are being promised. The reward is the Father himself. That is that he sees us. And in his seeing, we are rewarded. For we are in relationship with the Father and he knows us. He understands us. He knows what we're going through and we are in his presence and we are blessed beyond our comprehension. Because the love of God has been poured out to us Because the Father sees us. Bruner points out that Jesus is fully aware about the human drive to be impressive to people. That this desire is a deep-seated, that Jesus knows this full well and he only knows that something of a greater desire must counter the desire that we have. In order to the to counter the desire of gaining attention of people. He says, we want to gain the attention of the Father. That is a greater desire that would cover and actually overtake our desire to be seen by people. There's no pretense before the Father. He knows us full well. We cannot pretend. We cannot act. He knows everything about us. And yet he has called us and chosen us to come into his presence. We can't pretend. We can't fake. We can't impress. For the Father knows us full well. And he sees us, and he loves us, and he wants us to come to him and to be in his presence. Perhaps at one point we can be like Asaph. I think it is my favorite Psalms, it's Psalm 73 at the very end. Asaph says, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. He says, there is nothing on earth that I desire Besides you. Asaph knows what he values above all other things. That it is God himself. I desire you, Lord. I want to be in your presence. I want to see you. I want to experience you. He tells us that it also in verse 73, verse 25. For me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. He says, this is what I desire most of all, to be in the presence of God. There is nothing in this world that I desire besides to be in your presence. And it is his longing. So when we come into a time of giving of needs, when we come into a time of prayer, when we come into a time of fasting, Let us do it for an audience of one, the one who matters most of all, the one who satisfies beyond our comprehension. Let us do it for the Father who is in heaven, for he sees us, he knows us, 
And he rewards us with himself.